we're going to do things a little bit differently today. Um, I really wasn't sure if there would be like eight people here or this many people here. And so I'm really, I'm, either way, it'd be great. Uh, glad to see all of you. But um, we're going to do a, a, a few, we're going to do two different things today. We'll do our normal thing. And then um, a lot of you know, but maybe you don't know, that we, we uh, lost one of, our, one of our own this last week who passed away um, on Thursday. And so on the back end, we're going to talk about that a little bit. But first, uh, as I said at the beginning, it is the Christmas season. We are, are into 12 days of Christmas. And I was looking up last night to see, like, what are the... What are the traditions that you're like? What are you supposed to do? I've never really looked into it all that much, honestly. Uh, I know that we kind of we push really hard into Advent and into Lent, but there are other seasons of the church calendar and Christmas uh, or Christmas tide is how it's known a lot of times. And so I was looking to see, like, are we supposed to put a candle up? Are we supposed to like you know there are certain colors, certain kinds of decor? Uh, and everything that I read was basically you're supposed to feast for twelve days. Well, that's my kind of church calendar right there, that, that if, if Advent has an element of fasting to it, which, um, which it does, uh, then Christmas tide is supposed to be about feasting. And there's like different feasts for each day, and they get progressively more intense, which is where the, why the song gets progressively more intense. Um, and so uh, I'm not encouraging 12 days of feasting. I'm just saying, hey, uh, for 12 days, let's, let's, let's not like have this big push to the incarnation, the arrival of Christ, and then like quickly move to the next thing, you know. Um, we're supposed to like sit in the moment uh, a little bit. And so this morning we're going to sit in the moment. And so um, I want us to, to look in Luke chapter 2 in just a minute to kind of, uh, kind of look at what, the, what the, the young life of this incarnate word was like. Um, next Sunday uh, is going to be Brag on Jesus Sunday. Uh, we've done this for a, a long time where we take the first Sunday of the year to, to hear words of testimony about w- how God has moved uh, over the last year. Um, there are, are things that are going on in the congregation that you might not be aware of. There are people who have experienced really incredible things that maybe unless you're close friends with them or you're, maybe if you're in their community group, maybe you wouldn't know it. And so that'll be next Sunday. We'll do a few in the morning, during the morning services, service, one service, 10 a.m. Um, and then that night at 5, we're just going to get together again and just do like popcorn testimonies, um, anybody who wants to come. So if you are planning to share, like you know already, I'm supposed to be one of the people that talks. Uh, if you could let the staff know that, it's very helpful for us to be able to plan ahead of time. So just shoot us an email, let us know. That'll be next Sunday, so that's how we'll celebrate Christmas next week. Is talking about how the the incarnation of Christ, how that has been like a real thing, how God being with us and for us, how you have experienced that in real ways over the last year. Um, today, I want to look at a sort of like um, what do we know about the young the young life of Jesus? So, uh, so as far as like a series of events, here's here's what we know. We know that an angel visited Mary. And said, you're going to have a baby. And they had that whole conversation of like, how, you know, and all that. And so, uh, and she was like, okay, uh, this is crazy, but uh, I'm on board. Let's, let's do it. Uh, she tells Joseph, and he's like, yeah, right. Uh, let's see what, what, how we can get around this. Then the angel comes to him, 
tells him, like, hey, God's in it. You need, you need, like, let's go. And so they, uh, they agree to, like, trust the Lord that God is in this. And, um, at some point, whenever it was time for them to, um, to go from engagement to marriage, that was in that, somewhere in there, we don't, aren't really sure when it happened, but by the time they got to Bethlehem, they were married. And they go to Bethlehem, they have the baby, uh, that night, the shepherds come and visit, and uh, there's like that part of the manger scene, you know, the nativity scene that we all know very well. Uh, a week later, okay, is uh, is the like on the eighth day is when you would circumcise a male baby, and so that happened on the eighth day. We know. Um, then we know that Jesus, uh, that Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple on the fortieth day. Because they, they, there was some like purification that they needed to go through, um, which is a part of a custom in, uh, in Judaism. And so on, the, on his 40th day, they take him to the temple. That's where they run into Simeon and Anna. You might remember that from us talking about it during Advent. Uh, then, then there's like this like span of time, like maybe, maybe like two years, maybe three years. Then the wise men show up. So we tend to lump them in with the nativity scene because it kind of ties the storyline together. But there's a span of time in, in between those those visits. Um, we know that uh, that Herod was um, was threatened by knowing that this Jewish king was born, and so he's he tricks the wise men into like locating him so I can worship him too. Uh, turns out that Herod wanted to murder the baby, and so the wise men uh, get tipped off to that, and so they kind of trick him, and God tells Mary and Joseph to go to Egypt. And so there's this, uh, they flee uh, to go kind of hide out in Egypt for a while, which is really interesting, I think. Um, and then uh, Herod proceeds to just say, well, if I can't find this one child, I'm just going to have all the male babies killed. And so that like really dark part of uh, history goes down in Bethlehem, um, and then uh, Herod dies, and an angel tells Joseph, hey, it's safe to go back. And so they return to Israel, and then in Luke chapter uh, 2, starting verse 39, is where this picks up. And so Jesus at this point is is young, let's say four, four or five maybe, uh, starting verse 39. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Okay? So that that's like that's what we know uh, up to that point. Um, they finally land, they go back to Galilee, they go to the city of Nazareth, and all of these things are, are prophetic. Going to Egypt was a prophecy. Uh, him living in Nazareth, prophecy. Like all these things were connecting dots of, of the storyline from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so now you have this, this young boy and his parents living in Nazareth, just being normal people. Uh, Joseph was a stonemason. Uh, we get, have the tradition of saying he was a carpenter, but there's not a lot of carpentry in that part of the world. Uh, there's, it's more about, a, like, there's a lot more rock than there is stone. Uh, I'm sorry, then there is a tree. And so uh, it's more likely that he was a stonemason. That word can kind of be swapped out. And so Joseph has a career. Jesus would have grown up in that career because that's how they did it back then. Uh, Mary and Joseph had other kids. And so Jesus would have grown up with siblings and all that kind of stuff. But that verse 40 right there, that's like this a summary 
The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Then it moves to what we know next about his life, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. When the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Okay, so let's let's stop right there. Um, I, w- I want to point out a couple of things here. Um, what does this tell us about Jesus' upbringing? One thing it tells us is that his family, like Mary, Joseph, siblings, his family was consistent in their in the practices of their faith, right? Like verse 41, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And then it picks up, it just tells this incident that happened when he was 12. So every year, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, siblings, whomever, would make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover. That That is really important. Like, here is this young Messiah of ours, getting stronger, growing in wisdom, and in favor with the Lord. And a part of that is he is in a family that puts into practice what they believe. God said to do these things, so we're going to do these things. And we're going to make this pilgrimage, which was costly, and it took up time, and it was time away from work, and so it's costly in that way too. But this was important to them. They, he grew up in that kind of family. Um, he, he wasn't off doing, doing his own thing, and they were over here, and they were, they were not in agreement. They were unified in this uh, as far as the, the practices. So him going to the temple, when we see him as an adult going into the temple and teaching and doing all these kinds of things, he had gone there every year his whole life. Okay? That's important to think about Christ in that way, that that's a part of seven-year-old Jesus and nine-year-old Jesus and 12-year-old Jesus, uh, part of his life. Uh, the second thing it tells us, um, look at 43. When the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. Okay, Anybody ever been left behind at a store or something like that by your parents? Right? I want to see the hands. Put your hands up high. Yeah, there's enough of us. Okay, uh, my parents, um, they were they're have owned a couple of businesses over, over the course of the years. And there was one day when I was there with each parent and we were all in different rooms doing things. And then one left thinking the other one was with me. And then the other one left thinking that I was with them. And then I'm in the back and the lights go out. And by the time I like fumble around, uh, I'm like, they're gone, you know? And this was of course, pre cell phones. And so I had to call my house and leave a message on the answering machine. Remember the answering machine? And just hope that they checked it because it wasn't always the thing. I, I didn't know if they were going straight home, but I was like, eventually they're going to realize that I'm not with them. And, uh, oh, there's, there's our young child leaving us a voice. I even can't even call it a voicemail and an answering machine message like, Hey, uh, need a ride. Um, 
So if you've ever been left behind, if that's been a painful thing, a wounding thing for you, Jesus understands. He, uh, he's at the temple. His parents take off. He's not with them. His parents didn't know it. We look at 44. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. So they didn't like a few minutes later be like, hey, where's Jesus? They travel for a whole day. And they just assume he's with the group. And so this was pretty common whenever you would travel. Of course, it was, you know, you traveled uh, by foot and often traveled in groups because that was safer. They were just like, oh, he's, he's, he's in the, in the crowd somewhere back there, right? They go a whole day. And I guess maybe like head count at night. They're like, hey, we're one short here. Um, where is he? And they begin to look. And then verse 45, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem and searched for him. And it took them three days in Jerusalem to find him. Some of that's because Jerusalem is big, right? Big, big city. Um, but can you imagine as a parent, you have lost your child. Your child is in a big city. It's Passover time, so there's like all kinds of extra people. And you've been looking for three days and you can't find your child. Like some of you as parents, it makes you anxious just to think about that. Um, I, I got... Uh, I got lost in a crowd on a at a beach when I was young, and it was just it was my mom, me, and my middle brother who was an infant at that time, and I got lost in a crowd. And my mom came and talk about it right now. Like she might be watching the live stream, and she's probably like heart heart racing still from that that feeling. And so here's Jesus, um, Jesus' parents going through that kind of thing. But I think it's important to think about this though that. As they were traveling, they just assumed that he was in in the group that they were traveling with. And what that tells us is that Jesus grew up in a community of people. They weren't a, it wasn't Mary, Joseph, and siblings over here on an island doing their own thing. He was immersed in a community of people that they were so comfortable with that they went a whole day not even worrying about him. Not because they don't care, but because they were like they obviously had friends. That Jesus grew up with, with like he had his people, you know, you know, you're like you have like your people that you that you turn to, that you trust, that you walk through life with, and um, Jesus grew up must have grown up in a very like trustworthy kind of like Jewish faithful community who went they went to Jerusalem together as a group, and his parents just trusted that oh he's someone's got him he's this is who we are, you know. I think that's really cool. Um, I'm sure that it was not cool for Mary and Joseph at some point. But I think it's cool that they were like, no, he's, he's here somewhere. Uh, this is who we are. And so Jesus understands, he understands the practices of the faith, and he understands community because that is descriptive of what's going on. And I know it's not explicitly taught there. You kinda, I've kind of had to pull some things out of this, but I, th- I think that's really, really important for us to think about, especially when we see what's coming next. So um, verse 46 after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. All who heard him were, were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Okay, so when they finally find him, he's in the temple. And look, look at what it says he's, he's doing. Okay, he's in the temple. He's sitting among the teachers. He's listening to them. And he's asking them questions. Twelve years old sitting with the teachers in the temple, listening, dialoguing, asking questions. 
And they are amazed. It says that they're just amazed at his, his understanding and at the way that he was answering things. Um, I love that about, about Jesus because um, I, I default very easily to Jesus, like Son of God, you know, the, the divine part of him. Scripture points to him actually not drawing from his divine nature, but living from his human nature. He's 100% God, 100% human, but yet in terms of how he was functioning, he was just a normal a normal 12-year-old boy. And so he's listening to these teachers, not to try to... It doesn't say that he was like correcting them or anything like that. It says he was listening to them. And he was asking them questions. I, I think this points to Jesus being a learner. And it's so mind-blowing mind to think about. Here's, here's the one who's, who spoke creation into existence. And we see him as a baby having to like depend on mom for food. At some point, he had to learn how to walk. At some point, he had to learn how to speak. Here he is in the temple learning and asking questions of the teachers there. The humility that we see in the way that God chose to come to the earth and to grow up. And for Jesus to grow up in a community that practices their faith. um, How formative that must have been for him. And the fact that he's there asking questions and listening to these teachers. It's a pretty, pretty incredible thing that he was a learner. And even at a young age, he's making quite an impression. And so verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? That's a very interesting answer. He's like, well, where else would I be? You know, it's kind of like, it's almost like he's like, I can't believe it took you three days to wonder where am I, where am I going to be in the city? Like, I'm, I'm going to be here. And so as he is, he is answering, there is this sense that like he, he's connected to something bigger than himself, you know. But that is a part of what's driving him even at this young age. And so in the midst of his learning, he's drawn to... What is happening in the temple? The temple is this signpost, is what N.T. Wright calls it. It's, a, it's, a, it's an, an indicator that's supposed to point people to the Lord and to the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it's a place of justice and a place of compassion and care, a place of worship and a place of prayer. And Jesus is like, where else would I want to be than in a place that is devoted to those things? I'm not going to be in the marketplace. I'm not going to be out in the field doing this. I'm not going to be in those other places. If we're in Jerusalem, I'm going to be in the temple, in my father's house. So he's not barking back at his parents. It's just this moment where you realize like something really special is happening with within him. He's connecting these things together. It says in verse 51, no, sorry, sorry, go to 50. They did not understand the saying he spoke to them. And he went down with them, and he came to Nazareth, and was submissive to them. 
And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. So he didn't look at them and say, you can't fence me in. I'm the son of God. Blah, 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 blah. He's like, okay. He submitted to them. The creator of the universe, God himself, the word become flesh, said, okay, mom and dad, whatever you, whatever you want me to do. What an interesting detail in this account that he submitted to them. This was not a rebellious act. He didn't sneak off from his parents. There was a sincerity and a humility about it. And he went back to Nazareth with, with them. And this impacted especially mom, who treasured these things in her heart. This, that one verse makes people think that Mary was one of Luke's sources that he interviewed, because that's such a motherly detail to include, right? And then it says this. This is what we know from 12 years old, until we see him uh, at his baptism. This is one verse that sums it up. Verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Increase in wisdom, stature, favor with God, favor with man. Let's think about those for a second. Wisdom, It doesn't say heavenly wisdom. It doesn't say worldly wisdom. We don't really know. So, what if it's what if it's this kind of all encompassing wisdom? What if what if this is him growing like in intelligence? Like he really is learning like facts about the world and life and all those kinds of things. Uh, You think about what you learned from twelve to thirty. There's a lot of learning that happens in that span of time. Could also be heavenly wisdom. It could be him learning. like the father showing him what to do and how to do it to be able to learn uh, how else is he able to navigate what it was like would be like to be a teenager. Like what it would be like for him to, to have normal teenage things going on. To have to learn how to navigate friendships, uh, the ups and downs of all that kind of stuff. How to navigate uh, like, a, like a physical body that just keeps changing the older that you get. Uh, all of the different kinds of temptation that comes with that span of time. How how else could he navigate his way through all that and not sin? It had to be the wisdom of heaven. We can't think like, oh, well, he, he made it through all that without sinning because he was God. If he wasn't drawing from his divinity, he was just living out of his humanity, he made it through all of that the same way you and I make it through that. Grace. <laughs> empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom of heaven showing us how to say no to things that are bad for us and yes to things that are life-giving to us, how to deal with temptation, how to deal with all of those kinds of things. And so he, was, he grew in wisdom. He learned, how, he learned how to think correctly about life and the kingdom of God and who he is and who God is. So he grew in wisdom. It says he grew in stature. And so certainly that's like, there's like physical growth. And to, so to think about uh, Jesus going through all of the stages of human development that we go through and how that connects to the wisdom part I was just talking about. Um, he, uh, he got stronger. He got taller. He, he became, uh, he went from being a child to being a boy, to being a young man, to being a man in that span of time. Um, 
It says that he grew in in favor with God. And that one I think is is interesting to think about because we tend to think that favor is just like a, is like you increase in approval of the Lord. But uh, as I said, like during the Broken Cistern series, like God God doesn't use the word approval. Like He's not He's not an approving or disapproving God. That's not. It's not how he works. God's God is it's love. We we he, approval is like a human construct. God's just like, look, I love you because I love you. And uh, what we sometimes might would in, in understand as like an increase in that. It's not that God is loving us more. It's that we are we're increasing in our realization of His love. Um, and so, increasing a favor with God, it's 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 not so much that He was like, oh, God is now. A little bit of favor, and then a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. What that tells us is that he he grew in his like relationship to the Lord, in his trust of the Lord. That twelve year old boy that was sitting in the temple, uh, asking questions and listening to the teachers, being in his father's house. That that just grew and developed within him. It wasn't that God's favor to him increased. It was that really like his understanding of the Lord grew and grew and grew. And the longer he lived and he walked in that kind of obedience, that, that connection deepened, just like, just like with us. Like we, um, you're not going to walk in more favor with the Lord at one point than another point, but you and I are going to realize the love and the grace that's coming our way more and more and more and more. And so that relationship with the Father, the trust, the love, the uh, desire to be obedient, the focus of what he's here to do, all of those things taking shape, uh, that continued to form in him. So spiritual formation, this process that we are all in, uh, Jesus also went through that process. Now we're having to learn how to like, we're in like recovery, learning how to be to be, like leave behind the sinner mindset and realize that we are saints. We're, we're learning, we're being formed into being who we really are. Jesus didn't have to work through the baggage of past sin until the cross came. Uh, but what he was having to work through was what it means to be human and to have like to take on flesh and to realize like this is what temptation feels like. This is what betrayal feels like. This is what. This is what it feels like to like to want to do something that is like bad for you, that kind of thing. Jesus understands all of that, is what I'm getting at. So he increased in favor with God and he increased in favor with man that, that there's a social component that he had to keep working through. So he had to like work through, like I said earlier, friendships. He had to work through his family not really understanding him. You had his one of his brothers guy named James, who um, just thought he was com- completely crazy until the resurrection. Like the resurrection, James was like, okay, all right, I get it now. And then he became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem and wrote the book of James. But he was against Jesus as Messiah, the majority of Jesus' uh, life on earth. His family didn't understand him. Remember in Mark when his family showed up to bring him home? They're like, hey man, you're going, you're going off the deep end here. We gotta bring you, we gotta reel you back in. And so Jesus understands 
what it's like to not be understood. He understands what it's like to work through the ups and downs of interpersonal relationships. There's a social component that he gets to our lives just sometimes being difficult. And so this one verse that tells us he grew in wisdom, okay, his mind and stature physically, uh, his relationship with the Lord, so his spiritual development and his relationship with man, his social development, he holistically went through the same things that we go through. And I know that's a point that I make a lot when it comes to the incarnation, but this verse takes it out of Jesus from age 30 to 33 and brings it into Jesus from like the very beginning all the way until his baptism. This was an entire lifelong journey for him. And I think that points to two really important things to take away with. One is the humility of our God. To put himself into the position of uh, being dependent and having to learn things and having to navigate his way through the broken world that you and I navigate our way through. That he intentionally stepped into that, not only to redeem us and save us, but to walk us through what we're going through right now. That put on your list of of trials that are in your life right now, and Jesus has experienced that. Not only in his own life, but also the fact that he is in you. So he is feeling that, and like he's experiencing it from the inside of you and your reality, and the outside of you, and from his own experience And so your advocate, your intercessor is incredibly informed about what is going on with you and knows exactly what you need in this exact moment. Um, I think that the humility that that shows us and the accessibility of Christ in our experience that's described here in this little, these few verses about his childhood um, is, I believe, supposed to make us just look at him and just be like, who, what other God would do this? You look at all the mythology that's out there, you look at all the other false gods that are there, they're, they're, you don't see that anywhere else. And that's because they're all counterfeits. They're all fake versions of this. And so we bring ourselves under this this narrative, under this kind of God who... Instead of making us work really hard to get to him, he's like, look, you you know it's never going to happen. I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to become one of you. And then I'm going to take all of that death upon myself. I'm going to take it to the grave. And so when that resurrection comes in our future, um, Jesus knows that as well. He's not asking us to do anything that he's not already gone ahead of us and done. And so whatever it is that we bring to the table uh, on this day after Christmas, he's been through it and is going through it with you. And the incarnation, like that that idea of the word becoming flesh, that God became a human, uh, is supposed to be a part of the blessing and keeping that we walk in. And so what we're going to do is we're just we're going to just sing and sing some Jesus stuff for a few minutes if that's okay, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk about uh, uh, you know what happened with Terry and stuff like that.
But for us this morning, I think it's an important way for us to start the Christmas season is to sink into this and embrace it. And so uh, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to go back there, and we're going to sing a little bit. So why don't you stand just for a minute, just kind of gather your thoughts, gather yourself together, and apply this to what you're going through. Like really think, what's on my list of trials right now? And what does it mean, the fact that Jesus has been through it and is going through it with you in this moment right now? Give that, a, give that some thought, and then we're going to sing together.